Ecclesiastes chapter 7, before we do that, I just was reminded in Psalm 84, now that Chris is in here, I want him to hear this as he dealt with that in the devotion this morning. I appreciate him, what he said there in the verses he dealt with, and it kind of goes right along with verses 11 and 12, and, and uh, Brother Hall, while we were in 84, Brother Hall um, God used him to start a church in Tucson, Arizona, which is now in Marana, Arizona. And uh, Brother Hall was given the name for that church out of Psalm 84, verse number 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And the name of the church there, and uh, now in Marana, Arizona, is the Sun and Shield Baptist Church. And he took it, uh, and God gave him that out of that, uh, that chapter, out of that verse. And I just, while we were there, wanted to make mention of that. And uh, they're on their third pastor, Brother Hall being the first one. Uh, then a man from North Carolina took a church, took the church, and then he recently resigned, and a, a man in the church, a, uh, an assistant pastor, is now currently the pastor there. And we was reminded of that this week. And then Brother Chris was in Psalm 84, and I wanted to just kind of point that out while we were there. So Ecclesiastes, where I'm taking my text, Ecclesiastes chapter number 7, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, but the beginning of it, it's known also, the book is known as The Preacher. And so, uh, but uh, written by Solomon, uh, a man of wisdom, as we understand and know, and God had given him the wisdom uh, because he asked for wisdom. And we can ask for wisdom, and we just read that reference in the New Testament, and we can ask for wisdom and expect it from the Lord uh, there. Uh, and, and because that's all that Solomon asked for. <laughs> asked for wisdom to, to lead the people that he was being put, then God gave him. He didn't ask for glory, but God gave him glory. He didn't ask for riches, but God gave him riches. He didn't ask for a lot of those things, but God gave him those things because he simply asked for wisdom. And was very humble and, uh, and, and asking humility, then God gave him above and beyond. And, and, and speaking of Solomon, uh, we understand and know that as the queen uh, came and, and looked and heard about Solomon's glory, Solomon, heard about Solomon's uh, kingdom, uh, and then she went away saying, the half was not told me. And uh, of all the things that I uh, seen and, and understood once I went and visited myself, and that's paraphrasing that, uh, the half was not told unto her, all of Solomon's glory and the things that she found. And that was God's blessings upon him because he asked for wisdom. But in doing so, <clears throat> in asking for wisdom and God giving him wisdom about these things, he was a, obviously a very observant man and he just observed things. Oftentimes you'll read in the, well, even in Ecclesiastes, in, in, in Proverbs as well, uh, you know, I went to my window and I observed such and such. And he made these observations and, put, and pinned them down in Proverbs. We're going to look at uh, just the reason for the Proverbs uh, in just a little while. Uh, but he pinned them down in the Proverbs, and then he wrote Ecclesiastes. And again, uh, you know, when you look here at the... Uh, the beginning of Ecclesiastes, um, it says, the words of the preacher. <laughs> All right. The words of the preacher. Uh, somebody that made declaration, the words of the preacher. He made observation and declaration. 
And uh, he was the son of David the king in Jerusalem. And then, vanity of vanities, said the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so, um, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So he just, he, he looks at life. And he makes observation, and he pins them down. And we can learn through the Proverbs, and we can learn here in Ecclesiastes. And then he also wrote the Song of Solomon, brother. Uh, and we, and I've got them, and they're back there. We just need sticks to put them on. Anybody wants to? Brother Hall's going uh, through the Song of uh, Song of Solomon. He preached uh, messages out of that. And we've got them. We just got to get them, and you got to have the the computer or whatever to listen to them on their MP3. Anyway, they're really rich, and we have them back there on that computer. Actually, I just need sticks to go by unless we run them off on the, uh, the CDs, which take a little bit more effort. Um, but um, anyway, but the Song of Solomon, a really rich study in itself, preached properly. I know of a man that mishandled Song of Solomon and, and, uh, and paid for it. Let's just put it that way. So anyway, but uh, this is the text that I'm going to be preaching from, I was originally thinking of, well, and we'll read it as well, Proverbs 22, I'll just go ahead and read it, but stay in, in, in Ecclesiastes, because when I looked up a good name, Proverbs 22, 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold, I also seen Ecclesiastes 7, and 7, 1, which speaks of a good name as well, a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. This is the text I'll be speaking at my father's graveside here in a few days. I just felt led to go ahead. I, this is going to come out different on Thursday because I'm going to have 15 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I was prompted this because of things that I've already read uh, that people, uh, you know, the online the online uh, tribute, online book that you can sign at the funeral home. My daughter put a, an excerpt there of what my dad meant to her. And then I read what my sister said about him, read what my brother said about him. And, and bottom line is, he had a good name. One of the things that he um, tried to instill in us Sometimes in a in his own let's just put it away in his own way was to have a good name, and uh, and then and so as I looked at this, um, I I seen looked into it. And I said, Lord, how can I apply this? You know, in a message to our church, and I think that He's led that way. And so this is the text I'll be using Thursday. It's going to become out different today than it will Thursday, but uh, I felt that this was the way that the Lord. Had led because it goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 7, 7 I'm going to read one again, but then I'm going to read through verse number 4. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that end, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God and for the wisdom that was shed abroad on Solomon. And Lord, for him sharing it in the word and in canonizing the scripture that we have today. We thank you for that and how that we can learn and apply and how that we can grow thereby. And I pray that we'll do that as we look into the scriptures here today. And as God and direct me and help me, Lord, be a sister hall there at the house this morning. Give grace to her, give healing and help and strength and rest into her body. I pray and ask that you will be with those here today with the uh, lingering colds and uh, things that went through the church. And I pray that you'll continue to clear folks up and be with Miss Myra. I know she's had some sickness as well. Give healing and help to her. I pray for Roy uh, with the cancer and the things that he's facing. I pray, Lord, for Josh and uh, in surgery tomorrow. May everything go well. I pray for Miss Debbie on Thursday. The test, may it show um, that there's no issues there. I ask and pray that you'll guide me and direct me, Lord, in the, in the words, and uh, that you would help me and help us through the word of God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen, amen. So a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth, which is kind of confusing. <laughs> we, we as, a, as a people, you know, we like babies. And as the babies come, well, there's just something about them. Uh, the way they feel and the way that they, the little sounds they make and uh, the way they sometimes smell. <laughs> Sometimes they smell bad, amen, but anyway, so sometimes they smell good, but when they smell good, it's just, just something else. Uh, like I said, my brother just recently had a grandson born, and he sent pictures, and he's got the grandson up on his shoulder, and I just know that feeling, and I know the smell, and I know the, just, the, just the, the cuddling, and it, it was a joke around Island 4 that, uh, that I like babies, and I do. I had seven of my own. And, uh, and I was shooting for 12. I heard they were cheaper by the dozen. Anyway, we got seven. And so anyway, but uh, uh, the Lord blesses with seven, and I thank the Lord for that. And then to see that pit, crowd, of, crowd of my, my offspring on the steps uh, the other day, it's just amazing uh, that, uh, that I've got 14 and two on the way uh, as far as grandchildren goes and uh, what a blessing it is. But I like them babies. Brother Hall did for a long time. When you take the little ones, I mean the little, he, the newborns, Brother Hall, he's like, he would hold them, but very, very, <laughs> very shortly because he was afraid to break them. And I, I realize that they don't break, but you know, I understand the little tenderness of them. And, 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 and there's joy at the, beginning, at, at the beginning of life. There's joy when a baby is born. You know, people come and let me hold, da, 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 and congratulations are all put out. It's kind of funny when I have grandchildren born and, and put it out, you know, social media that I'm congratulated for nothing that I've done <laughs> except have one of the parents of my grandchildren. I'll take the congratulations. The congratulations goes to the parents, you know. And so that's kind of where they're at. And, and there is a certain joy about somebody being born. But Solomon says different. The day of death. Not that there's not joy at a birth, but Solomon says here in verse number one that the day of death, uh, uh, yeah, and the day of death. So it's better than precious ointment, a good name, and the day of death then, better than, the uh, impl implied there, better than the day of one's birth. And we see why in the next several verses. Why is the day of death better than one's birth? Well, the day of death 
if you really want to, because at other places in Ecclesiastes, when, when the preacher, I want to put it that way, Solomon tells us about, he, just, he speaks about um, death. Uh, there's other, other times he gives a different connotation, a different outlook on it than here in this particular passage. Uh, again, like he starts out almost immediately about our lives and the observation of life. When he started out, and I read it a moment ago, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So oftentimes we can look at our lives and you see it's just there's a lot of vanity in our life. Vain. In fact, we've, we've made reference to um, yeah, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And one of the things that tripped up a lot of pilgrims in their journey in that particular uh, allegory was Vanity Fair. It was a fair, and people would get sidetracked in life with Vanity Fair. Because oftentimes they got, to, they got their eyes on vain, vain things and off the path that they set up on as a child of God in our walk of faith. And so many times, and false accusations happen in Vanity Fair, a lot of the things to the believer. And we can get sidetracked, which is what Mr. Bunyan was pointing out, sidetracked with the van, vain things of life. Again, he was taking his, his allegory of the, uh, of the pilgrim journey that, that, the, that the Christian takes you know, out of the Word of God. He took the, the principles out of the Word of God. He took you know, faith and, and, and all these, these different characters in, in that particular story uh, of the themes out of the Word of God. And it really causes you to think about things and really if you make application to our lives, then we realize oftentimes that lots of our, when it's all said and done, is vain. Uh, birth, you know, if you, if you want to look in the negative side of birth, you know, even though that they're cuddly and they're squeezy and they're all them things that I just mentioned a moment ago, but then you, you, when you get a little grave in your thinking, and some brevity to your thinking about this new life that has now entered into the world, you think about all that they're getting ready to face. They've not experienced any of that yet. They're new. <laughs> no heartache, no troubles. They're totally dependent upon. There's no labors that this child has to concern themselves about, and all the things that happen in life. You look at this, this child is just starting out, and really you're like, poor child. <laughs> because we know that in this life, as Solomon put it in the Proverbs and in, this, and in Ecclesiastes, in this life what all that child has got to face as he goes through life. And I think that's kind of the connotation that he's getting to. The day of death is is uh, uh, better than, again, implied, the word better, because of the first part of that verse, the day of death better than one's birth. Because the day of death, you're letting things, you're putting things down. 
You've finished your course, as Paul said. You've run your race, and you've finished your course, and then you can look back and say and see the accomplishments at the day of death versus in your beginning. And then in the next three verses, he mentions the word heart. The preacher here does. You know, and in light of the day of death being better than the day of your birth, it is better, and he uses the word better again in verse number two, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. What is the end of all men? Your death is the end of all men, and the end of all men oftentimes culminates with a funeral and the funeral should be a time of mourning, not, and I know, and we've done hit this a lick before, this celebration of life. You know, we're going to get together and we're going to party that this man's died. <laughs> we're going to party that this person has died, this family, this loved one, and we're going to, we're going to make merriment. That ain't what Solomon says. Amen. Solomon says funerals should be mourning happening. Sorrow should happen at funerals because mourning and sorrow is good for the heart. It causes certain things to happen internally and it should happen right here in the heart. And often what hurts in the heart causes leakage from your eyeballs. And there, and there is, and yes, we can, we've, I've done it this week. There's just little things, and I, I mentioned it Wednesday night. It might have been misunderstood, but it, it was a funny thing for me and my sister that my dad is keeping her from getting married. So there are going to be some times that will bring a smile, but there should be a time of mourning, and it should, it should be that way. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. You will consider some things. Those that are living there that you are consider some things because of your mourning. And like I alluded to in my announcements a little while ago, there's a whole lot about dying that you don't take into consideration. The Old Testament economy, God put forth when he gave them the promised land, he divided up the inheritance among the 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel, because we know that the priest, they didn't, the tribe of Levi didn't have a physical earthly inheritance. They were to live of the people. They didn't have land. And God dealt with it. And as he divided up, and especially, you know, of course, he went to the firstborn male. But then we read in the word of God that there was a man that had daughters. <laughs> What do we do with our, the inheritance when it's all daughters? And God dealt with that in the, in the Word of God. And the firstborn, in the principles that were set forth in the Old Testament economy, the, the, the firstborn got more than the rest of them. Why? Because, and then obviously sometimes, in Luke chapter 15, sometimes the inheritance came before the person died. And the, the firstborn got more of the inheritance. Why? Because in that economy, we didn't have nursing homes. The family had to take care of their old, old people. 
their, their fathers and their mothers. The fam- it fell upon the family, and in, in light of, of the way that this was, it fell on the firstborn, and that's why he had more inheritance, because he could take the extra and to take care of mom and dad, because they didn't have Social Security. <laughs> we don't really have Social Security, to be honest. <laughs> <clears throat> they didn't have banks to lay up their treasures. They laid up their treasures in their livestock and their land. And, and the family, the firstborn got of the extra to take care of, the, of the, uh, the aging parents. And that's the way that it worked in the Old Testament economy. So God set forth that. And again, when I said the living will lay it to his heart, when you go to the funeral, when there is a time of mourning, when there is a, uh, uh, and you experience a time of death, then you realize, you lay things to heart, you realize some things that it puts in your mind. Are you prepared? I've done it this week. You know, you hear, you hear the life insurance being discussed. And then it makes you lay it to your heart. Do I have life insurance enough to put me in the ground? You hear, um, you know, uh, these, the, the, the various matters of people's... Um, uh, of life, uh, investments, life insurance, their, uh, their possessions. And as you deal with those things, as you stand in mourning over your, the death of your loved one, it takes you to your heart. <laughs> it makes you examine your life. It makes you examine your preparations for death. Because in life, that is one of the preparations that we need to make, is death. And not only the physical death, in light of life insurance and possessions and who's going to get what and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, but one of the, ma- the, the, the things that it should cause our heart to examine, cause us to lay it to heart as Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 2 says, and uses those terms, lay it to heart, it should make us turn internally to say, are we ready for death spiritually? Not just the physical matters of life. That's all important, and you deal with those things, and I'm learning a lot about those things. Wills and trusts and this and that and this and how it all, after how it's all taken care of is one thing. But the main thing to lay to heart is, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready when you lay down your life to pass and and take your last breath? And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we spoke of Luke chapter 15 and the three examples there, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Speaking of those that were lost and were found, which in application, those that are lost and then are saved. And then the very next chapter in Luke, it talks about hell. And there's two characters, there's two people mentioned there. In that chapter is the rich man and Lazarus. It's not a parable, it's it's an event. It names Lazarus but it it doesn't name the rich man. The very first funeral I ever preached, I preached out of Luke chapter 16. 
<laughs> and when I was talking about, <laughs> when I was reading my text and mentioning hell, the family member's eyes got about that big around. Like, he's getting ready to preach daddy into hell. <laughs> and I'm glad that they thought that. I'm glad that they got down to that because that hopefully internally said, where am I going to be after I die? Amen. I didn't preach daddy in hell because there's a second character in that text. There is one that went to heaven. You know, oftentimes Luke 16 is, and, 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 and rightly so, Luke 16 is, is preached about the rich man because it also describes the torments that are in hell. And oftentimes preachers will take Luke 16 and take that text and preach on hell and preach the torments that the rich man today at least 2,023 years later is still experiencing in hell. And the Bible says he died and in hell. And I've preached that, those, that phrase here before. And in hell. That's a very sad phrase in the word of God. Amen. He lift up his eyes being in torment. At least 2,023 years later, still there. And however much longer he's got before the great white throne judgment happens, then he will be delivered up out of hell, stand before God to be judged according to his works, and then cast into the lake of fire, according to the word of God, which is the second death. So when we go to the funeral home, when we pay our last respects, we pass by the casket, be it opened or closed, and we look in mourning at the deceased, we should lay it to heart. It will cause us to lay it to heart. Not, all, not just the business of life and the business of taking care of things after someone's died in the family, like storage sheds and stuff. I got a whole blue building of stuff that's not mine. It's my dad's stuff. And I got to do something with it. Some I'm keeping, some I'm going to get rid of it. But stuff nonetheless. And so there's that business, but it, take it to heart of, of where am I? Am I prepared for my family? If I should die today, again, we get into this mindset, if I should die today, is there enough life insurance? I have to check on that. If I should die today, does, does, does Lisa know where, how to go about finding the life insurance policy or policies if there's plural? My sister found a little teeny tiny life insurance policy that she didn't know my dad had. And if nobody found it, then guess who gets the money? <laughs> the life insurance. It keeps going in the... She forgot about another investment that he had had. Totally forgot about it. Does your spouse and or survivors know where to find that information? So it makes you lay the things to heart that way. But again, one of the things that should make you lay, am I ready? Am I ready financially? Am I ready this way? Am I ready that way? Am I ready? But bottom line is, are you ready spiritually? 
when your family passes by, do they know that you've lived a life and a testimony that you are in heaven? Or is there question marks put in their mind? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, Proverbs tells us, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. A good name gives hope to those that don't, maybe not know. If you, I mean, you know, everybody questions Job. I mean, not Job. Everybody questions Lot. By, by what we read in Genesis, Lot didn't go. <laughs> no way. I mean, other than in Genesis when they said, when Abraham was mediating uh, and, and interceding for Lot, if there be so many righteous, if there be so many righteous, if there's so many righteous, and he says, I'll be, if there's so many righteous, Brother Hall's been listening, that's his, that's his text that he's listening to. He listens to the Bible on recording, and he listens, and that's where he's been. I've been in the kitchen listening with him. And it was there in Genesis where he's been in his Bible listening because his eyes are to the point where it's hard for him to read. And he was dealing with Lot. And Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. Not just Lot, but the righteous that were there. And for the cities themselves. And, and each time, God said, yeah, if there's so many, you have so many. And brings it down to what Lot was in his family. And it was not even enough righteous in his family. You think of Lot, his wife, the two virgin daughters, at least two daughters that were married, their son, the, the son-in-laws, and it mentions sons in there as well. So when you count it up, I think it's the very last number that Abraham mentioned. But there wasn't even that many that Sodom and Gomorrah could be spared. Only three got out because Lot's wife turned and looked back. And in the incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughters, Heard that again. Those nations are still alive today. And, and you think about that, and you think of, Lot doesn't have a good name. Only by Peter do we know that it was listed, the word of God says, Lot was a righteous man. But if we didn't know all that, did Lot have a good name based on what we read about him in, in Genesis? No. Even though he didn't know what he did with his daughters, according to the word of God, they got him that drunk that he didn't know when they laid down, he didn't know when they got up. Two nights in a row. But on the outside looking in, no good name. Now we can look at Abraham and say, Abraham had a good name. We, we could probably tell just by Abraham's making the altars and and worshiping God and, and all that happened. Abraham had his mistakes. He lied about his wife, being his wife a couple of times. He listened to his wife and went into uh, his wife's maid, maid servant. And then I like, when, even in Brother Hall's, I was listening, Brother Hall got to the point where he said, 
that in Isaac was the promise. The seed that was going to give from the, from the womb of Sarah was going to be the promised seed. Even though Ishmael was going to be a great man in his own right, the promised seed come through Isaac. But we can, and there are times that we in our lives are going to strip up and fall just like Abraham, just like David, just like some of these other saints of God. But, but in the end, are they going to look at your good name? Can they tell some things about your good name? Do you name the name of Christ? Was there a date and a time, a time and a place? We sing the song, there was a time, there was a place. There's a a song that I want to introduce to our, when we get the choir going again, because it's a good song. There was a time, there was a place where Jesus saved me. And I can remember there's another song we we are familiar with. There was a time that Jesus saved me. I can can name the time, I can name the place. I I don't know the how, I don't know the why. The why, because he loved me, amen. He gave himself for me. That's the why. I don't understand that part, but that's the why. But there was a time in your life that you named the name of Christ, that you said that God saved you, and you can take that to the grave as a testimony of your walk before society. They can say he had a good name because he was a Christian. He had a good name because he was honest. We're going to see some New Testament principles of that in just a minute. Let's read, continue on. So it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for, in that, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. You're going to do some self-examination when you mourn. You're going to do some self-examination when you go to the funeral home. And if you go to the funeral home...
right now. And I'm sitting there in that, in that service as a preacher screaming in my head, going, not according to the word of God. Amen. He didn't, he might have had, I mean, you know, what can be said about you? What can be said about him? Well, he had some great backyard barbecues. What was the one, Brother Glenn, the one fellow that they could make coffee, good coffee? They could make good coffee. One woman I know, the only, her, her daddy, the only thing that they could say about, she could say about him was he helped lay the brick down at the first church of the Nazarene. That was his, his claim to heaven. Good name. When it, if you died right now at 10 years old, I would just go up 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and beyond. And they put you down up front. What could be said about you? And, and could anybody know that you had a testimony of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for the saving of your soul? Amen. I remember when they went to the altar. They were different when they got up. They lived a Christian life, a Christ-like life after their testimony of salvation. Or, I mean, there's been people to the altar. Yeah, I remember when they went to the altar. I remember when the preacher, pastor baptized them. But then after that, they committed this crime, spent this amount of time in jail. Makes you think. Good name. So you lay it to heart. You do examination of yourself. In verse number three, sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart's made better when you sorrow. It just brings you to a different mode of life. Some people, like myself, and I've I have confessed this to you that I have a tendency to hide my sorrow with my smile and probably a chuckle or a giggle and people don't understand me because of that. I have a mindset being the big brother in my house just like I remember it like it was yesterday, six years ago when my mom died. I was actually had gone back home but it was right before the surgery and it was right before we went back and said goodbye, our final goodbye to mom before she went into the surgery. She come out of surgery. Six hours later, she died right before my brother and sister seen her. But right before we went, could go back and say our final goodbyes, I remember going to the bathroom, going to the sink, splashing cold water on my face, internally tormented and breaking down but having to put on the face of strength. I splashed water on my face, looked in the mirror, and said, okay, Doug, and you're, you're, the, you're the big brother. you got to be strong for everybody here. And I went out and was strong for everybody. I didn't show the emotion necessarily that I needed to, probably, when I said bye to Mom. I choked up a little bit, but I wanted to be strong for her, too. And there was a time that I wrote down, 
after it was all said and done, but it, our heart is made better by laughter, by sadness of countenance and sorrow. I, I try to cover it up, and there's times that I do sorrow, and I have, but I do it privately. That's just the way I'm geared. I'm sorry. My daughter's the same way, my oldest daughter. She's the same way. She, she gets it to herself, and then that's when but she's the strong one out in front of everybody. She gets it from me. Verse number four, the heart, is, uh, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So it says you're wise if you mourn. Your heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. So, so mourning and sadness and the sadness of countenance and sorrow is good for the heart. It causes you to reflect on things. And if we go back to the good name, how can we have a good name? So a good name is better than being chosen than great riches. A good name is better than precious ointment. Is living, I mean, so Proverbs, you know, again, Solomon is the one that wrote these things. If you go to Proverbs chapter 1, and you could just live the Proverbs. He gives you enough instruction throughout the Proverbs of what to do and what not to do and how to live and how, and how to live and prosper and how to live and fail. He mentions the drunkard. He mentions the sluggard. He mentions the one that goes by, goes after the, the, the um, strange woman. Wisdom to the son, and oftentimes through here he speaks to the son. Where Proverbs are written here in verse number 1 of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. <coughs> and that's what these Proverbs are written for. And if we'll just live by the precepts of the word of God, our lives, if we will if we will be hospitable, if we will give, if we will serve, if we will love our neighbor, our God, our neighbor, our, our brethren, and our enemies. I know it's hard to love your enemies. But all found in the Word of God and precepts found throughout the Proverbs, just good day-to-day, -day, put, put, put it to your living kind of wisdom. Then on the end of thing, the day of death, they can come in and they'll pass by and they'll have a good word because you have a good name. But the first, well, let's just, let me, I'll get to that in a minute. But again, chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. Chapter 3, verse 1, my son, forget not my law. But let thine heart keep my commandments. First, chapter 4, verse 1. Hear ye children the instruction of, the, of a father and attend to no understanding. Chapter 5, my son. You get the picture. My son, attend unto my wisdom and, know, and bow thine ear to my understanding. My son, if thou be a surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger. So he gives instruction all throughout the Proverbs. He's instilling in his son, and we can take these as well. And we can apply these principles to our lives and at the end of our life, have a good name. 
But then I couldn't help but to think of Philippians chapter 1. If you'll turn there, we're almost done with this. Philippians 1 and Philippians 4. Get some New Testament principles here. And I've Philippians 1 and uh, Galatians, there we go. Philippians 1, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of, lo- of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therefore do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified. How? I mean, it doesn't say that, but I want you to say how. Christ shall be magnified, Paul says, in my body. Whether it be by life or by death. The end, of, the end of a man, right? The, the day of death is, the, is better than one's birth. So in, in that mindset, Paul, seeing this, said that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life, while I'm still living. And he says, I want Christ magnified in my death. How I die. A good name. For to me to live is Christ. If I, if I, as long as I'm living, I'm living as a Christian. I'm living Christ-like. For me to live is Christ. Is is that ever-present verb there? For me to live is Christ. Every aspect of my life is Christ. Can you, be, can you say that? Can I say that like Paul said that? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is far more needful for you. Paul said, look, I have a desire to depart. I know that my death, like like the preacher said there, Solomon said there, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. I know right now it would be better for me because if I die right now as a child of God now, then I'm going to be with Christ. But I know that Christ has has a work for me still yet here, and while I'm yet here, I'm going to live as Christ and I'm here for you, Philippian church. If you skip down to verse number 8, find, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, turn over chapter, chapter 4, and verse number 8 of Philippians, there we go. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. 
goes on to say in verse number 9, Paul giving instruction to the church, to children of God, to save folks. You want a good name? Think on all those things. You want a good name? Those things which, are, which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and I highlighted this, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So following the precepts of the scriptures, he's talking to the saved folks here. So you've got to be saved. You can't, in your own strength, you can turn over all the new leaves you want to. You can live as good as you want to. I mean, there are religions and people are sincere in their religion. They don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't cuss, they go to church, they, they give of their money, they do all those things. And when you walk by their coffin, you can probably say, he was a good man. She was a good woman. She loved her God. She loved his God. He loved his God. But who is that God? And did you obtain what you call salvation? Did you obtain it the right way? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not through the baptism. It's not through good works. It's through faith in Jesus Christ when he puts his finger on your sin, shows you're a sinner, and, and in repentance by faith you come and agree with him that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and by faith you said that Jesus Christ, I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scripture. He died for my sins. And my faith in him will deliver me from my sins and give me a eternal life that was mentioned today. Hallelujah. Eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord. I testify that there was a time in 1981, Sunday morning in May. That's all I know. One of the Sunday mornings in May of 1981. Two times prior to that, God fell on me in conviction, and I should have moved in those two services, but I didn't. But under conviction, the Sunday school teacher, she said, I've never been impressed to do so, but is there anyone in here that would like to be saved? She did not lead me in a prayer. I knew that I needed to repent. I'd heard her to preaching. I knew I needed to ask him to save me by faith, and he did. I just stepped forward on a metal folding, uh, and she didn't do the preaching. I done heard the other preaching through the preachers. She just simply said, I don't know why I'm saying this, but does anyone here want to be saved? And the Holy Spirit was on my heart that morning, and I, I went, stepped from the second row to the first row, and bowed on the metal folding chair in the Sunday school class and asked the Lord to save me, and he did. There was a time and a place. The burden was lifted. Brother Glenn tells everybody that's saved in here has a time and a place, and they can say, testify something very similar. God showed me my sin. God convicted me of my sin, and... I repented of my sin and put my faith in Jesus Christ and he saved me. It's not in words that you pray like a lot of gospel tracts has got on them. Now, if you'll just pray these words, 
No. There's got to be a change in your heart. There's got to be faith put behind those words. It's not just words. Some testify, Brother, Brother Hall knows him, <clears throat> and I've mentioned it before. Brother Bob Carrico met Jesus in the aisle. <laughs> he, come, he come forward, but he said the transaction took place when he stepped out because he stepped out by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some comes down and some does have some wrestling because of just like the body, will, the natural body will lay hold on that every single final breath that it's taking. If you've ever watched anybody die, the body struggles in death. Well, guess what else struggles in death? That's your spiritual man. Your spiritual, I mean, your, your carnal man, I should say your carnal man, your carnal man in the spirit don't want to let go. That's why Paul says crucify him. Because that, that carnal man does not want to let go of carnality, does not want to let go of sin, and sometimes people struggle. Because there is a wrestling, the spirit and the flesh. And there's a wrestling that some people just can't get over. And some people in the wrestling, uh, Brother Hall preached a, mess, uh, a revival, and I've mentioned this before too, preached a revival in, his, in the church he was called to preach out of, and some people from Louisville come across, and she struggled on the altar. This woman come forward struggling with her sin, wrestling with the flesh. Long after the, I mean, long after the, the last verse of the invitation was given, struggled but got up and walked out lost. And it come to knowledge that the reason that the, the struggle that she was in is she was living in fornication. She was living with a man, and she knew that if she got saved that night, that that was wrong, and she would have to get out of that lifestyle. She'd have to either get married. Or stop doing that. And guess what she chose? She chose the sin over salvation. And everybody's knowledge, that was what she chose. And nobody ever heard from her since as far as our circles go. Hopefully somewhere along the way. But she struggled that night and chose sin over salvation. And sometimes it's that way. Because the, 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 the flesh is a, and, and sin is strong. Sin is pleasurable. Hebrews tells us that Moses chose suffering with God's people over the pleasures of sin for a season. It's pleasurable. That woman's sin, pleasurable to her. But that's, where he, that's what she wanted. I don't know your heart today. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Mourning causes us to look inward. And hopefully this morning the message will again cause us to look inward and ask ourselves a question. If I died right now, is my... And of course, we could go through all the... All the estate, is my estate ready? But if I should die right now, 
Am I ready to meet God? Will my family say of me that they knew God? Because they lived Christ-like principles in their life. Pure, holy. We said the list there on things to think on. But he says not only to think, think on those things, he said go out and do those things. Your testimony of one of a child of God? I hope so. If not, if the Lord's speaking to you, they can be the day that you become a child of God. There'll be that new birth. And just like the little bitty birth, the little baby at, at a physical birth and the rejoicing and the gladness and the, the mirth that's found in that, there will be gladness over your new birth into the family of God, Amen. both here and in heaven. According to John chapter, I'm going to say Luke chapter 15. All right, let's pray.